If you have not been paying attention to the news, we are in a historic drought in California. Here's the thing. My grass is still green. Is yours? Is your grass still green? Right? When I turn on the faucet in my shower, water still comes out. Anybody not shower this morning? Don't announce it to the people next to you. You don't want to do that. Well, I turn on the water and water comes out. My toilets flush all the time. What gives? Is this fake news or what? No, the truth of the matter is, is we are in a historic drought, but we're so smart, we're so advanced, and we're so technologically astute that it doesn't affect us. Now, imagine a drought where when you open your faucet, nothing happens. Imagine your shower doesn't work, your toilets don't flush anymore. Grocery stores don't have fresh produce. Because you need water to grow produce. And forget about meat. There's no meat either because cows need water and chickens need water. Droughts mean death, period. That's what it meant. It meant death, period. Can you imagine just desperately waiting and hoping for rain, praying for rain every morning, every afternoon, every evening, every night, and getting up the next morning and praying for rain again in the morning and in the afternoon over and over and over again, like your life depended on it because your life does depend on it if it doesn't rain. You ever prayed like that? You ever been in a situation where there was no hope? Where there was it was an impossible situation and there was no way out, no solution? The kind of situation where you just throw up your hands and you say, you don't even know what to say. Because you don't have anything to say. You, you've got nothing. You ever been at your wit's end and, and nothing else you can do in that situation? And all we have left to do is pray. Is that the stupidest phrase ever? All we have left to do is pray. Right? When all else fails, pray. Right? I mean... Why is that? When we run out of options, then when there's nothing else we can do, when the situation is hopeless, when the situation is impossible, that's when we pray. It's weird. So, Elijah today, as we jump back into our prophet series, we're going to talk about the prophet Elijah, and he prayed some impossible prayers. He prayed them with faith over and over again, and we're going to look at an impossible prayer today, and it starts with a drought. Uh, if you've got your notes, break them out. I would love for you to follow along. We've been sort of telling the story, the narrative of Elijah. So let's review Elijah's story today, okay? Uh, you've heard it the last couple of weeks from Glenn. Elijah was called to confront the king evil Ahab. Everybody say Ahab. Ahab was evil. And it, the Bible says that he was so evil, he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than of any other of the kings of Israel before him. This is a bad do. Now, the worst thing that King Ahab did was he turned Israel away from God. He turned them towards the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Baal was kind of like the sun god, or, or like Glenn said, a family of gods. There's the Baals, but the most prominent was the sun god. And Asherah was like his wife. I don't know how else to describe it, but kind of like that. And God gets fed up with King Ahab, and he sends Elijah to confront him. So Elijah confronts Ahab, and he says to Ahab, there will be no rain or even dew. You're not even getting dew in the morning. Until I say so. And so there's a drought in the land. And that would be like the Great Depression for us. Hey, trust me, back then they didn't care what the stock market was doing. They cared what the water was doing. Was was there rain or was there not? Was this going to be a good harvest or not? And people would be... So 
this is exactly like the Great Depression for us. That kind of a drought would be like the Great Depression for us. People would be starving to death. 80, 80% unemployment. There'd be no water, no crops, no livestock, no nothing, no hope. And God sends Elijah to this place called the Kareth Ravine. The Kareth Ravine was a, Kareth actually means cutting. And it was a place where God was going to cut Elijah down. He was going to humble him and then build him back up. And, and make him the man of God that he planned him to be. While he was there, if you remember, he was fed by ravens. These birds came and brought him bread and probably, according to some of the commentaries I read, regurgitated meat for him to eat. Is that disgusting or what? And and kept him alive in this little stream down there. For two years, he lived by this little babbling brook. And then the brook dries up. And I can't imagine what Elijah's thinking. Okay, God, now what? So God sends him to this place called Zarephath. And in Zarephath, Elijah stays with this widow. And uh, if you remember the story, uh, there's, a, there's a, a jar of flour and a jar of cooking oil. And when he meets this widow, she says, I'm going home to make my last meal, my last little loaf of bread so we can die. Which would make sense if there had been no water, no rain. And then, of course, every morning she wakes up, uh, Elijah says, you will always have bread in this house. And every morning she wakes up, that little bit of oil that she used up yesterday is back just a little tiny bit. And the flour is back, just the part she used up yesterday is back just a little bit. And every day he provides miraculously these, this, this food for them. And then, after all of that, this widow's son gets sick and dies. And, and he dies and Elijah goes up to this upper room and he lays his body out over this dead child and prays to God three times. He says, God, please raise, the, raise this boy from the dead. Please raise this boy from the dead. Father, raise this boy from the dead. And we see that God raises this little boy from the dead. And then if you remember last week, Glenn was talking about the contest at Mount Carmel. Mmm, Carmel, delicious. Uh... Mount Carmel, Ahab assembles 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, and they have this contest. You remember the contest? They stack up altars. You make an altar to your God, I'll make an altar to my God. We'll lay some meat on top of it, and, and then we'll call down fire from above, right? And, and we'll, we'll both pray, and we'll see who rains down the fire from above. And so these 850 prophets, they wail and they pray loudly and they cut themselves and, and, and they call out to their God. And of course, nothing happens, right? And then Elijah prays another impossible prayer, just like the one over that dead boy. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings 18, 36 through 38. You have the text there in your, in your uh, bulletin. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, what does he say? Answer me so that these people will know that, O Lord, you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And then in my imagination, Elijah does this. Right? And the fire rains down, and we know the story. It, it, it eats up the sacrifice. It, it, the, all of those stones are reduced to dust, and whatever little water they had left, they had poured over it, and, and it gets left up, and it says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the what? And what else? The, and the, and even the, that is the easiest way to dig a trench right there. Have God do it for you. 
It even licked up all the water in the trench. And all the people started shouting, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And I told you, or Glenn told you, Elijah literally means Jehovah, he is God. They're saying Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. But what they're really saying is, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And then Elijah has them seize the prophets of Baal. This is one of those things, and they get put to death. So you don't want to lose a, a, a contest on Mount Carmel is all I'm telling you about that. And that's where we pick up the story today. So in 1 Kings 18, verse 41, we get to this. This is a continuous story, so I want to make sure you understand the whole story. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to what? He's commanding the king to go have a feast. Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear what? A mighty rainstorm coming. Now get this. There's been no rain for three years. No rain for three years. But today it's going to rain. There's only one problem with this prediction. It is a perfect day outside. There is not a cloud in the sky. You know those days where you walk outside and you're like, it is perfect today. Today, this is, I don't know why it takes till October in California, but in October we're like, oh, it's perfect. It's going to be 75 today and it's going to be beautiful outside. There is not a single cloud in the sky. But Elijah's going to pray another impossible prayer and today we're going to look at how you pray those impossible prayers. Here's the first thing about impossible prayers. Impossible prayers are humble. Impossible prayers are humble. It says this in 1 Kings 18:42 the next verse. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah, what did he do? Climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and what did he do? Bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Elijah goes out after this battle and he gets his uh hiking gear. Goes to REI Picks up some uh, North Face gear, maybe one of those camelback thingies. Although I don't know why you would have a camelback thingy when there hasn't been any water, right? There's no water, so this doesn't do me any good. And instead, he, he climbs up to the top of a mountain, right? Now, there's been no water for three years. And, and when he climbs up to the top of the mountain, he climbs all the way to the top of this mountain while they're having a feast below... You would think that when you got to the top of the mountain and you were going to pray to God, that you might pray to God with your arms outstretched, right? I'm up here as close to you as I can get, God. God, hear me. Hear my voice. But that isn't what Elijah does. It says in the scripture that he does something completely different. He gets low. He gets low. And it says not only, it's so descriptive, it says not only did he get low, he gets so low that he puts his head between his, I can't make it go there. <laughs> I need to stretch a little bit. I'm okay. All right. So he's all the way down and he's praying like this. Oh Lord, please hear me. You ever prayed like this? You know, the funny thing about praying like this in unusual detail in the scriptures is it dawned on me at one point. Do you know what this is? Here, let me show you if I just roll on my side. It's the fetal position. It's that position where you know you are dependent. 
You know, he knew he, he couldn't make it rain. This isn't my gig. This is your gig. God, you've got to make it rain. I am small and incapable and I cannot make it rain. I am tiny and inadequate and I can't do this anymore. And he gets down low and he prays, God, make it rain. You ever prayed like this? Man, I have. When Nicole and I were pregnant with our first daughter, Elizabeth, um, Nicole woke me up one Saturday while I was lying in bed. And she said, and this is our first pregnancy, she said, uh, she said, I've got a pain. And I said, what kind of pain? And she said, I don't really know. And I said, okay, well, um, is this like, because I was such a sensitive husband at this moment. I said, is this like a go to the hospital kind of pain? And she said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, if it becomes go to the hospital kind of pain, just wake me up. I rolled over and went back to sleep. 30 minutes later, my wife woke me up and she said, hospital pain. I said, okay. We got up and we went to the hospital, right? Um, and when we got to the hospital, they did test after test after test. And little side note, my wife was hungry and she said, can you go to McDonald's and get me a breakfast sandwich? To which I went and got her one. And then I gave her the breakfast sandwich and she ate it. And then the doctor came back in and he said, have you been eating? And we said, yeah, she was hungry. Have you met pregnant women? Uh, and he said, well, we, you can't eat anything because we're going to have to go to surgery. And I said, we said, what's going on? And he said, there were certain tests they could run, but certain tests they couldn't run because she was pregnant. And they said, we're not sure. She, we think she has an appendicitis. And we need to go in and surgically do something about it. But you need to know this. There are risks. Risks to the baby. Risks even to Nicole. I don't know if you've ever seen this in someone you love, but Nicole just became so afraid. And as they prepped her for surgery and they put her on that gurney, we, we, we were going down the halls of the hospital there. We were living in Orange County at the time and, and we were going down this hallway and I was holding her hands. And of course we got to the doors that behind was the operating room. And of course the nurse says, you know, you can't go in there. And my wife was desperate to have me go in there. And I remember her hand slipping out of mine and going through that doorway and the door closing behind her. And I remember, like right now I can remember how I felt with my back against the wall of that hospital. And I just slid down that wall into the fetal position. And I said, oh God, don't take my daughter. Don't take my wife. God, please, I got nothing. I'm desperate. You ever prayed like that? Jesus prayed like that. In the garden, he was facing the cross. And it says in Luke chapter 22, this. He walked away. Oh, go back one. He walked away about a stone's throw And he knelt down and prayed. 
You imagine Jesus praying like this? And Jesus said, God, if, if it's at all possible, take this cup of suffering from me. God, I'm desperate. He was, he was in such agony that he was sweating blood and, and he said, I, if there's any way, God, if there's any way this cup of suffering can be taken from me, please take it from me. But not my will be done, but your will be done. This is Jesus desperate. I don't picture Jesus desperate very often, do you? But this is Jesus desperate. And I want you to get this important point about praying with humility. And this is it. This is what it sounds like. Here, first of all, prayer does not move the hand of God. Prayer does not move the hand of God. Prayer does not change the will of God. It doesn't change his will. We don't, we don't pray, oh God, please change your mind. We, what we pray is that prayer changes us. It pray, prayer changes you. When you get down on your knees and you, you recognize that I am not God, you are God, I need you, you don't need me, but, but I know that you love me and you care about me and you're listening to me. It changes you. Prayer moves you into alignment with God. It moves you into alignment with His will and with the things that He's doing. And even in Jesus' case, He said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And Elijah is praying this humble prayer. I don't want us to mistake this prayer, right? This prayer isn't for him. It's not for Elijah. This prayer isn't even for King Ahab. This prayer is for the will of God to be done. God told Elijah to pray this prayer. Pray for rain. Did God need Elijah to pray for rain, for rain to happen? No. God doesn't need Elijah for that. But God wants for his people, his desperate thirsty and dying people that they might return to him. And there comes a time in every desperate prayer, if you have ever prayed a desperate prayer, an impossible prayer, where the prayer changes from my will be done to thy will be done. It it changes from my preferred outcome, God, to your eternal outcome, God. What is best for you and for the kingdom of God and for your people and even for me, God, I know you love me even if I'm suffering. In James chapter 4, it says this. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. He is the one who will lift us up in honor, but humility always comes before that, before the miraculous in our lives. Here's the second thing, ready? Impossible prayers are specific. They're specific. I don't know about you, I don't know how you pray, but I tend to pray wishy-washy general prayers. Anybody else? Oh, Lord. Blessed today. I think God's up there going, what? Lame. You know, I, 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 I'm this wishy-washy. Sometimes I can be this non-specific praying, God, God be with us. God give me strength. God help me. Elijah was super specific. He was very specific. He prayed for exactly what God told him to pray for and exactly what he wanted. In 1 Kings 18, the story continues. Then he said to his servant, go and look out where? Look out towards the sea. And the servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said what? I didn't see anything. That's a bummer. But he prayed specifically. Go out that way. Rain's coming from that way. We don't see it yet, but it's that way. One of the, one of the great stories that I have in my files from our daily bread is a story of a missionary in Zaire. Dr. Helen Rosevere was a missionary to, to Zaire. And she tells the story of how a mother at her mission station had died giving birth to a premature baby. 
And, and she said, we tried to improvise, um, an incubator for this little baby, but we, we couldn't because the only hot water bottle we had left had sprung a leak and it was irre- irreparable. We couldn't do anything to create the heat that was needed. And so we asked the children, this little, the little children in this mission to pray for the baby. And, and one of the little girls responded with this prayer. She said, dear God, please send a hot water bottle today because tomorrow it will be too late. And dear God, please send a doll too for this little girl's sister who's lost her mommy so that she won't feel so lonely. A little bit later that afternoon, a giant box appeared from London. And it was a, it was sent from a women's society in London to the mission in Zaire. And as they opened up the box, underneath a few layers of clothing, sure enough, was a hot water bottle. And this little girl said, keep digging, keep digging. If God sent a hot water bottle, I know there's a doll in there too. And sure enough, there was a doll in there as well. God prompted these ladies to pack up a care package to this mission five months earlier in London to send it to the mission station that it would arrive right on time and have exactly the things that God needed to send that they would ask for. See, when God, when we pray specific prayers, God gets the glory. When we play general prayers, we're like, eh, I guess it all worked out. But when we pray specific prayers, God gets the glory. We know he answered because he answered specifically as we prayed. The times that we don't see him answer is because we prayed these broad, unspecific prayers that were like, I don't know, did God do it? I don't know. In, in James chapter 4, it says this. Yet you don't have what you want because why? You didn't ask God for it. We praise over that all the time. We just read through that and we go, oh, I don't have. No, you don't have what you want because you didn't ask God for it. Specifically, ask God. Go to God with specific prayer requests and boldness. Here's another facet of impossible prayers. Ready? Impossible prayers are what? Persistent. First Kings continues. Finally, the 17th, the seventh time, not the 17th, the seventh time his servant told him, oh, we missed one. It should say in your outline, seven times Elijah told him to go and look. You see that? Seven times. Let me ask you a question. What have you been praying for the longest? Can you imagine sending that guy back seven times? What have you been praying for the longest in your world? I was reflecting on this, and so many of my prayer requests are sort of personal. I don't want to share them, but but this one I, I will share with you. Um, I've been praying for a little baby named Goldie Ruth. She's a little girl that's been in the ICU for weeks and weeks and weeks. On Friday, I did a funeral for a dear old lady uh, who was really an adopted grandmother to my kids, and she was a part of our church in Elk Grove, and uh, as close to me as anybody could be. She's family in, in our world. And I went to go do this funeral with her whole extended family, all of her kids and, and great-grandkids and, and great-grandkids. And uh, as I was preparing for the funeral, the one of the youngest of the grandkids had just had a baby, and this baby had been born with a, a, a perforated hernia in her diaphragm and one of the lungs had been collapsed and she immediately went into ICU and nobody had any idea if she was going to make it had a collapsed lung 
And they had to do surgery on her while she was just, you know, just days old. You, uh, you, anybody who's been through that knows it's terrifying. Just terrifying. Same feeling as I had, lying on the ground. And we have been praying for Goldie Ruth and praying for Goldie Ruth. And one of the reasons that Goldie Ruth is special to me is because Ruth, her great-grandmother, was so dear to me. And I pray every day. And if you are in any of the groups around here, in any of my community groups, we have prayed for her. And our staff has prayed for her. And we prayed and prayed and prayed for little baby Goldie Ruth. And yesterday as I went to the funeral, Mama was there. And I said, how's she doing? And she said, well, she's still in ICU. So we keep praying. Because that's what you do. You pray persistently. You keep on praying. You persevere. You stick it out. You push through. And it'll be worth it if you've been waiting and praying specifically. But I can't help wondering what was going through Elijah's mind on the sixth time when the guy came back and he said, Elijah, there's nothing out there, man. There's, I, I've been to the sea six times. There's, there's nothing coming. I don't, I don't know what you're hoping for, but, and what does Elijah do? He gets right back. On his knees. And he gets low and he puts his head between his knees and prays, God, I know you're going to send rain. Please, God, send the rain. you imagine that? At some point I'd be feeling like I'm going to look like a fool here. But he gets back on his knees. And in James chapter 5 it says this. James chapter 5 verse 16 it says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Man when we are down in the dumps and we are uh, feel like God is not answering and it's been six times and we can't hear anything we need to write that verse on our heart. He is a right the prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We have got to continue in persistent prayer. So here's a question for you. This is maybe the question for you today. Ready? What have you quit praying for? What have you quit praying for? That you need to start praying for again. What have you given up on? Maybe it's your marriage. You think it's too broken. This is just the way it'll be. I guess I'll just write it out. Maybe maybe it's a, a, a job. Something at work that you've got no control over. And you're so frustrated. And you've just given up praying for it. I guess this is the way it'll always be. What if it's a, your finances, you're so buried under a mountain of debt and you just can't imagine how it will ever come. A broken relationship, a prodigal child. Man, so many people are praying for a kid that has wandered from the Lord and you're, and you've been praying and praying and it's been years and decades and God, I'm just tired of praying for this. We keep praying persistent prayers. What have you quit praying for? That you need to start praying for again. And here's the last one. Ready? Impossible prayers. Impossible prayers are expectant. Impossible prayers are expectant. First Kings 18.44 says this. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Get this. This is this is what uh, the servant didn't say. He didn't say, oh, my gosh, there's a massive monsoon coming. 
He didn't say the sky is black and thunderstorms are crackling off the coast. He said, there's a little tiny cloud out there. I see one tiny little cloud, maybe the size, maybe the size of my hand. And Elijah's response is, oh, baby, you better get the flood response team. You better get going. You better get moving. Uh, because, and get this, for seven times there wasn't even a hint of hope. And then he, he hears, oh, there's this tiny little cloud. And he goes, oh, you better. I don't know about you. I'd be checking with News 10 weather, wouldn't you? I'd be like, what's the chance of precipitation? I just see a tiny little cloud. But he doesn't say that. And I wouldn't even start moving to tell King Ahab anything until I started. You know that moment when it's starting to rain and you're like, is it raining? I can't tell. Is it raining or not? But the answer to our prayers sometimes come from these very small starts. And Elijah gets this report of this tiny little cloud, but he was expecting the rain to come the whole time. He was expecting the rain to come. The tiny little cloud, the size of a man's hand. And, and you know why he was expecting the rain to come? Do you want to know why? Because three times he had laid his body out on top of a little dead boy that eventually came to life. You want to know why, why he was, he knew the rain was coming? Because he had just, in a very simple prayer, a single prayer, he basically said, Lord, bring the rain. And the fire came down. And so even as he hadn't heard anything for six times, he says, I, I know the rain's coming. And the question I ask us is, how often do we expect our prayers to be answered? How often do we expect the impossible to happen at the hands of God? Last night, while I was finishing up this sermon, I got a text message. <sighs> a little baby Goldie Ruth in a car seat. She had gone home last night. And I'd love to tell you I expected it from the very beginning, but I don't know sometimes when I begin to pray. I don't know what God's will is, but I pray. But you want to know what? Every single time God does something like that, I start to expect it more the next time. I start to expect God to do the impossible. Listen to what Matthew 21, 21 through 22 says this. Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and what? Much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea. And what? It will happen. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. Which leads me to. So what, Steve? Can you imagine that moment 
When the rain starts to come down and it floods everything. Here's the so what for Elijah. It says in 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 45. And soon the sky was what? Black with clouds. And what else? A heavy wind brought what? A terrific rainstorm. Anybody feel the rain? Did you feel the rain? And Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special... I love this little post note to this story. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He what? Tucked his cloak into his belt. And he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Do you want to know something I read in a commentary? The distance from between Mount Carmel and Jezreel, do you know how far it is? 17 miles. So after he calls down rain, he tucks in his cloak and he runs an impossible marathon. He runs ahead of Ahab's chariot. Can you imagine the look on Ahab's face, which is like, what is happening right now? He's ahead of our chariot. The horses can't keep up with him. And Ahab's horses can't keep And what's the so what for us? It's really simple, you guys. I don't know if you're tired of it. I don't know if you're in a hopeless position. But we have got to get low and pray impossible prayers again and again and again. Somebody here today needs to hear this. You have been praying a prayer that has not been answered. Keep praying. Don't give up. Keep praying. Some of you have been faced with an impossible situation and you haven't start praying for it. Get on your knees. Call the people you love, your community group, your family. Call us at the church. Leave a prayer request. You got prayer cards in front of you right now. Some of you during the next two worship songs, which I'm going to invite the, the worship team back up here right now. Some of you need to start writing out your prayer request right now. And it may seem impossible and it may seem crazy, and but it needs to be specific. And you say, God, do what only you can do because I can't do it. Maybe it's the salvation of a family member who is lost and going to eternity without Christ. Maybe it's, it's healing for a medical condition that modern medicine doesn't have anything for. Maybe it's forgiveness for someone who just betrayed you and you don't have it inside of you to forgive them, but you know you have to. Maybe you've been praying for a job and it seems hopeless. Maybe you're single and you're like, Lord, just bring me a man or a woman. Bring me somebody that will honor you and lead me spiritually and that we could do this life together. Maybe it's a baby for a couple that's been wanting and waiting and hoping. Maybe you need enough money to pay for a mountain debt. I don't know what it is for you. But before I leave you, I want to leave you with this parallel passage in James chapter 5. And maybe you just want to close your eyes and listen to this and let it wash over you. That we would not give up praying these impossible prayers. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Anointing you with the oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And get this, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down its rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Father God, I pray for the prayer request that are represented in this room. And some of them are impossible prayers. Prayers that are too big for them. 
but prayers that are not too big for you, God. God, I want to pray specifically for California and for our drought, God. We've got farmers that are literally, their wells are drying up and their financial futures are being ruined and, and they're desperate for the rain to fall. God, I pray that you would bring rain this year, significant rain, the rain that kind of restores our state and brings us back to a place where uh, the agriculture can recover here, God. Gotta pray for little Goldie Ruth. May you restore that little girl to complete health that she might live a life where she honors you and she gets to live out the namesake of her grandmother, great-grandmother. God, I pray for the impossible prayers that are still in my heart. And you know them. God, I pray that you would move in the way only you can. God, let us never give up on praying these prayers. Let us do it in a humble fashion, God. And let us do it in expectant that you will answer. In your son Jesus' name, amen.